Hello, and welcome to the conference call with Mary Jo Foley, MSST expert, 2H preview and recent price hikes. All phone lines are muted. Before we begin, we'd like to remind everyone that members of the media and the press are not authorized to be on this call. If you are from the media or the press, please disconnect from the call now. The content presented on this conference call is proprietary to and or subject to the copyrights of Jeffries or third parties. Furthermore, as a matter of legal compliance, we remind you that you must not attempt to elicit from any speaker at this event any material non-public information or other confidential information. And accordingly, the speaker may decline to respond to any question in his or her sole discretion. You may not publish or otherwise publicly disclose the name of or otherwise identify the speakers unless Jeffries permits it in writing. By attending this event, you agree to all of these restrictions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Brent Phil from Jeffries. Welcome to the software download. Uh, Mary Jo has covered the tech industry for 30 years. Uh, we've had her on many times. And Mary Jo, welcome back. Thanks so much for your, uh, your perspective. And a couple of topics we wanted to cover today. No, number one was just the, the look in, into the second half of the year for Microsoft. And then number two, uh, the recent price changes. So maybe we'll tackle number one first, just as it relates to your your view on the second half and um, you know things, uh, whether event products, uh, you know things that are on your radar that you think we should be making sure we're 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 paying attention to uh, heading into the back half of this year. Okay, great, and thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, so second half of the year. First, I'll talk about events. Um, Microsoft's talked about two fairly big public events that they're going to have, both virtual. The Surface event, uh, fall, the fall hardware event, is on September 22nd. <clears throat> and then in that event, we're expecting Microsoft to announce some new Surface PCs, um, possibly a Surface Go 3. Surface Go is their really small budget, well, for them, budget laptop, uh, mostly for the education market. They're also expected to announce another take on the Surface Duo, which is their dual-screen Android device. They're not giving up. Even though sales were not great, they're coming back with a Surface Duo 2. And uh, the biggest feature of that, we think, is going to be a new camera, much improved camera. Uh, we, we'll see if they actually improve the software experience, too, because that was a big stumbling block for them uh, with the first iteration of the Surface Duo. And then there may be some other Surface devices. Some people think there'll be a new Surface Book or a new Surface Pro. Uh, so I, I think more incremental than any major brand new category or announcement on that one, but still kind of interesting that they're still going forward with Surface, uh, the fall Surface event like they've been doing every year. Then they've uh, also said they're going to do an Ignite conference, November 2nd to 4th. Ignite is their show for IT pros and developers. So you can expect that that um, more news around Teams, of course, because they, they continue to um, talk about all the work from home and remote work advantages they're adding to Teams. They're also building up Teams as a developer platform, so we may, may hear some more about that at Ignite, I would think. Um, I'm thinking we could hear more about Fluid Framework there as well, which is their fast co-authoring and object embedding technology that they've been talking up quite a bit. Uh, and then independent of any event, I'm looking forward in the second half to them talking more about what's next for Office. Uh, they've 
they've kind of hinted around bits and pieces about this. They are updating Office for Windows 11 um, and giving it rounded corners and kind of more of a Windows 11 look and feel. Uh, but they're doing more than that with Office behind the scenes. They've actually come a long way about building out Outlook to be consistent across all the various platforms because right now Outlook, the way it exists on Windows versus iOS versus Android versus the web are very different experiences. And they're doing something codenamed Monarch, which is the unified one Outlook experience that we think next year will even replace the built-in mail and calendar app that's in Windows itself. So they're trying to bring consistency and simplicity to Outlook and to Office as a whole um, going forward. We think they're going to do more around making Office a, a true progressive web app, and they're re-architecting Office and Teams to be built around their WebView platform instead of Electron. So there's like a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes things happening to try to make Office and Outlook a better platform. Oh, I forgot to mention, of course, uh, Windows 11 rollout begins on um, October 5th. It's going to take them some time to roll that out, but that's when it's going to start being available on newer PCs as preloads and to newer devices. That's kind of what I'm thinking about for the second half of this year. Good rundown. Just a, a shameless plug for our software conference next week. Scott Guthrie uh, will be there uh, next week. At uh, We have over 120 software companies at our conference next week. Um, Scott's been at Microsoft almost 25 years, and as Mary Jo pointed out, he doesn't uh, really do a lot of big public events like this, So, um, at least for investors, so that's a, that's a good win. I'm looking forward to hosting him next week. Um, Mary Jo, just as it relates to you know products, um, kind of, you know, as, as you think about it, is it is it more, you know, as you mentioned, for Teams, right? Teams is, is doing phenomenally well, but is it more just, hey, think about, Different side angles on these products versus brand new new solutions that are coming. How, how should we think about, in, in your view, kind of the rest of the year in terms of you know, big, bigger launches? Is or is it more incremental and around the edges of the existing suites that they have? Um, I'd say more incremental. We haven't we haven't heard any leaks on any brand new Office 365, Microsoft 365 members of the suite that are coming. Um, it feels like they're more focused on adding features, especially to the E5 SKU around calling and phone system, trying to get people to consider upgrading to E5. I thought on the last earnings call it was interesting because they finally went public with how many people are on E5, and they said it's only 8% of their base. I guess I thought it was more than that. So you can look at it either glass half empty, glass half full. Um, they see it as we have a lot of headroom to upsell people to E5. And other people I talked to were like, wow, only 8% of people are on E5? That's kind of crazy. So I think I think they're really very yeah, that, focused. That seems pretty bullish, don't you? I mean, if your take, like, the, the way I think of it is, you know, that I think is way lower than anyone had thought. But, like, that to yeah. me seems like it's a pretty bullish yeah. sign because – there are so many features that you get with security and some of these advanced sure. it, it just it seems like I, I don't is that your view to i mean it seems like you got a lot of runway left yeah i think they have a lot of runway left and i think the pricing announcement they made in august about the price increase coming in march next year it's very much focused 
although they didn't really play it this way, it's very much focused on trying to get people to go to E5. So they incre they're increasing the prices on a lot of the Microsoft 365 and Office 365 business SKUs, but not on E5. And I asked them why not on E5, and they said, well, we're trying to make E5 look more attractive to people. So if we make E3 a lot more expensive, maybe people will say, you know what? It's not that much of a jump to E5. It's not, not that expensive. So I think a lot, of, a lot of that kind of stuff around features and pricing and public positioning is all meant to try to get people to move up to E5 for security reasons, compliance reasons, features, all of that. That's great. Speaking of leaks, I mean, you completely nailed um, what is many people's favorite beard to shoots or the class you see. <laughs> What, what was your is a follow up? I don't even you know we've had maybe some conversations around this, but you had the you had the lead up the whole way. Um, yeah. And and I guess you know some are saying well it's more for SMB than large enterprise. Some are saying well no 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 think about like the large contractors out there that need to provision PCs out to remote you know workers and and it, they can crank these machines up quickly. So it's not just the SMB play. It can be a large enterprise play and crank up these machines quickly for for these frontline workers. I mean, what's after you've been able to digest what you nailed going in, so with full 100% credit to you. After you've digested this, what what what's your take now? How, how should we how should we think about this? My first take is I'm mad Microsoft did not send me a six pack of Deschutes IPA. Let's just get that out of the way. I I will send it to you. I actually I'm coming <laughs> to New York next week, so I will bring it. I will bring it from state of Oregon for you. Nice. Okay. Um, secondly, my, my biggest takeaway was when they announced the pricing, um, people were shocked. So the pricing range, ranged from the lowest end of $20 per user per month for the business SKU up to $162 per user per month for the highest end, you know, eight virtual core enterprise SKU. And I saw so many people saying, wait, so do they really think we're going to do this instead of buy a new PC? And I said, you know, that's not the market they're looking at. They're not looking at people who are evaluating how much does this cost versus buying a desktop and, and uh, letting it kind of amortize over time. That's not the market they're looking at with this. This is more um, two SKUs. The business SKU is for SMBs who want Microsoft to manage things for them. So if you if you go with the Windows 365 Cloud PC business SKU, you don't really have to know how to set anything up. Like they set up your networking, they set the whole thing up for you, and they manage it and they run it. Um, on the enterprise side, if you go for the higher-end SKU, you can get a really big volume discount. I was, I was talking to one partner who's selling this right now, and he's like, yeah, it's like, like we're discounting the volume stuff, like 47% off the estimated retail price. So I'm like, oh, so it's not really even the price list we saw, right? Like it's a whole different price list. I think when, when I'm telling people, like, here's what you should think about. You should think about Windows 365 and how much that costs and what you need to license that versus Azure Virtual Desktop because they're going after the same markets with these two things, but it, there's very, very different use cases for those, right? So if, you, if you're going with Azure Virtual Desktop, you have to kind of assume you know how this how you know, networking works, how Azure Active Directory works, um, how to manage your storage and your consumption and your networking. You have to understand all that or you're going to get killed on the pricing and licensing. Um, so it's two different ways to go at the same problem based on the kind of customer you are and your uh, familiarity with Azure, I would say.
It's, yeah, it's just really simplifying. So, you, you, I mean, you're you're already hearing it out out in the wild. It sounds like they're they're kind of ramping up the resellers and getting people primed to go. Yeah. Yep, they're doing a ton of promotion of it right now, like um, all kinds of like here's a demo you can use in your browser, here's all these videos on how to use it, getting the whole partner network lined up to sell the heck out of this thing. Like they're really, really pushing Windows 365. Yeah, it's great. Um, we got a lot of questions from the audience, so maybe we'll just turn quickly that the pricing uh, clearly – um, a big move. They hadn't done this for a while, and and they took you know business basic to six bucks from five, premium from twenty two from twenty, and then five goes to thirty eight from thirty five, and so on. Each one of these packages got you know call call it between a one and and three dollar bump, but then you start to magnify that times the number of of users. Obviously, it's really meaningful. Um, what 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 do you what do you think? The rationale of them being able to do this is it just hey we haven't done this forever we've added more features like what ultimately what what do you think led led to this? Yeah, so the the public answer to that is they say we haven't done this in a really long time a substantive price increase like this we've done minor price increases in the past ten years but no major increase since we introduced this ten years ago as Office 365. And if you do look back, they have added a lot of things to the suite for no additional cost. I mean, Teams is a great example, right? If you have Office 365 commercial or Microsoft 365 commercial, you get Teams for no additional cost. Um, but they also talked about, you know, we added Planner and Stream, OneDrive for Business, Yammer, Whiteboard. They have a whole list of things. and They're like, yeah, we added all those stuff and we never increased the price. So I think, I think that's part of the reason, the longevity of – uh, between when they introduced this and the price increase, I think they felt like they could do it. And then uh, when I talked to Jared Spataro, who's the head of Microsoft 365, um, he said, in some of these cases, we're just matching the competition. Um, so I think they saw now that Google's starting to, to charge and charge more for workspace, they felt a little bit emboldened and said, you know, let's, let's, let's at least match them on pricing and not try to undercut them on pricing. Uh, like I said before, I think a big part of this price increase is around indirectly around 365 E5. Because now if E3 is going to be $36 per person, it's definitely not in the range of E5, which is $57 per user per month, but it's getting closer, right? And so you can you can make the case for some customers, hey, why aren't you mixing and matching your licenses? Some people could be on E1, some could be on E3, some could be on E5. Um, I say that kind of casually. It is actually hard licensing-wise to do that and stay in compliance, but some people do do, do that. I thought, I thought the most interesting thing about pricing was they didn't increase pricing for education or for consumer SKUs. Uh, I think my guess is they'll do this at some point for both of those, but they decided first to go with the business SKU, and I think they're just trying to minimize the impact and kind of eke it out over time. Uh, so, yeah. People were upset, shocked, dismayed, angry. Um, no one said, "Yeah, I guess they, I guess they have a point." You know, people, of course, are looking at how much more this is going to cost. You really them. think they're that bombed? I mean, like Adobe did yeah. this a few years ago, and like everyone's like, "I pay five X because what else am I going to use?" Like, are they really that upset? I mean, I you know I, what? I saw a lot of people using the pandemic as as like a cost. Thing, right like you're like wow way to go microsoft doing this during the pandemic i'm like okay guys like really 
like, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I talk to a lot of, uh, well, as you know, like somebody said, Twitter is a place for outrage. So people on Twitter, of course, were outraged about it. And privately, people I've been talking to, they're like, yeah, it's going to cost me a lot more. I, I still go back to volume discounts, right? I'm like, nobody's paying $57 per user per month for E5 or even 36 for E3. Like they, there are always deals for volume licensees. And I, I think the people who might get squeezed in this are SMBs more than enterprises. Okay. Um, there are a lot of questions just around the the showdown between now Salesforce with Slack and Teams. And I know it's it's still early. They just obviously closed this in the last month. But when you think about it, it seems like it's going to be a little bit of a harder road, or maybe not from your perspective. But, you know, you put, you put Slack technology, which I think people perceive it to have a better UI and more usable on the, you know, Threads that you can pull off is, is, you know, is perhaps a more usable solution combined with Salesforce's go-to-market team and the combination of their clouds. It feels like, you know, teams had a had the highway to themselves, if you will, and you know, yeah. there's another car on the road. And you know, it, what, what's your sense on this? This um, the kind of the change is it anything to keep an eye on? Yeah, the one thing I would I would note. Um, is Microsoft wasn't doing a whole lot up until Salesforce bought Slack with integrating Teams, Outlook, and Dynamics 365. Like, they were like, yeah, we're going to get to that sometime. Yeah, like, that's a good idea. But now they're really stepping on the gas on this, right? And they're doing a lot behind the scenes and in the front of the house to make it so that they can do what Slack is going to do for Salesforce, right? They're, they're integrating the developer platform between these things. They're integrating things like Dynamics 365 sales records to work in Teams channels. Um, they talked about this a bit at their partner show in July, and they're talking about it a lot more going forward. Um, it, they're just integrating across the board so that you can actually use Dynamics 365 while you're in Teams and do everything like customer journey, orchestration, the whole thing, like right inside Teams and keep keeping the whole idea as Teams as the place that you live all day, every day, and you can do all your CRM, ERP kinds of functions without having to leave the platform. Okay. Um, I'm curious, another, can I ask uh, you a question about Teams? Because <laughs> I, I was curious about your take on this. So it, on their last earnings call, Microsoft started talking about daily active users. or No, but they started talking about monthly active users for Teams instead of daily active users. And I had people asking me, like, is it because Teams growth is slowing? I don't, I don't know that I can make that correlation, but what did you guys think of them changing the metric? Well, I'll give you a detailed answer, and this is coming from, from Microsoft. So <clears throat> uh, there was a lot of questions around, um, you know, the, the phone users, right? So everyone's, right. I think, trying to dig into this. That we, We've said this. Like, we rolled out Teams during the pandemic last year. 4,000 yeah. users at Jefferies gets, the, gets it. All of a sudden, honestly, like, we're spending 90% of our time in Teams now. Like, right. we don't. Like, I never call anyone on my team on my Cisco phone or through Zoom on the inside. We're using Teams as chatting, collaboration on documents, and then 
you know, my team is, is annoyed that I pop in on them. I'm sure <laughs> with, with video, I'm like, just hit a video button and like you can hit four people at the same time, right? You're instantly have a video rolling, um, yeah. which is incredibly helpful for, for, for all of us. Right. And, and it works on mobile devices, you know, works on, on the, the, the iPhone, you know, right. pretty seamlessly. Yeah. Um, but we, we got a lot of questions around, Hey, they're starting to talk about, we've got now, you know, the, the phone usage, and I'd say that we're using it to call internal. We're not using it as an external line. The external line, till, you know, language today is still Zoom at our firm. So I think we're, we're seeing a, a bifurcation, you know, Zoom for the outside, um, Teams for the inside. And at some point, it feels like Teams should go both on the in and out. Right. And I've had clients, um, some of which are on the line, you know, tell me that their entire firm is using it for outbound calling as well and that they love it. Um, so um, yeah, the response they gave us is the team's phone MAU of nearly 80 million represents the number of team's users who have made an unscheduled call in the last yeah. 28 days. It includes both ESTN plus VoIP, and it needs to be a team's user making the call. Right. Um, Teams right. comes with all the uh, SKUs. You can think of it as ESDN, as our E5 users who have the full voice capabilities using our cloud PBX. And they're defining MEU as both PSTN plus VoIP because this is how we view the enterprise phone market. We got a lot of questions on that. So yeah. that was yeah, their yeah. response. Thanks. That's good. They didn't tell us that, so thank you for explaining that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's a big difference in the number, right? It was 145 million daily active users in April. And then as of July, it jumped to 250 million, but monthly active users, not daily active users. Yeah. Yeah, I think, look, as, as you know, the, the companies um, can change. <laughs> they Put it this way, versus some of the other tech companies we work with, they give you a lot more color, but I think yeah. ultimately a lot of these <laughs> metrics do align to what makes them look kind of the best, if you will, and right. we've seen this right. change for, for a lot, but I'm not saying that they're, they're yeah. The, 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 we had another question, Mary Jo. Um, the, the, the question was just around the the W365 or the cloud PC threat to Citrix and, and what Citrix CEO on their earnings call, by the way, kind of fought it off and, and said our activity is way up and we're, we've got this great partnership and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he, he gave some pretty detailed numbers on the last earnings call after they completely missed by a country mile, um, <laughs> saying that there's no impact that our, our business is falling out of the sky right now. Um, but there's a lot of questions about what this means. Yeah, I, that, Citrix, like I always say, I'm always just surprised. First, Microsoft never bought them. Second, that they still are a huge partner of Microsoft, and Microsoft and Citrix are always on each other's stages at various conferences and talking up each other's solutions. And when when Microsoft, when, you, when we started hearing about Windows 365, um, Citrix acted like, you know what, we're going to be one of the preferred partners. And it seems like that's Microsoft's positioning for this is, yeah, they still add value here, and we're not trying to take away the market from them. We're, we still see a place for them to add value. Now, exactly what that value is, I don't know anymore, but um, that's the public line on this, and everybody seems to be sticking to it, so I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Yeah. 
the the other question was just around security, um, and if you could talk about the strategy at a, at a really high level, and um, you know, Microsoft's not the only one, right? Amazon and and Google, and it just makes sense if you're going to give more to the to their yeah. infrastructure stacks, they have to secure and make sure it's reliable and um, you know, the, just the the real question just around the overall the overall strategy and and what we think they're trying to do here. Yeah. So this is not anything new, but they've been buying a lot of security companies and talking up security, especially the whole idea of like password lists um, and and all the functionality building in with the various products that are branded Defender into Office 365 and Microsoft 365. You know, it gives them another thing to offer to people when they're considering subscription-based offices. Hey, by the way, if you if you go with this, you it increases the amount of security that you can guarantee for your customer base because we've built security into the higher end SKUs. Um, Windows 365, they're doing the same thing with cloud PC. They're selling it to customers as if you go with this, you're going to be more secure than if you try to obviously obviously if you try to do it yourself on premises, but also even if you just use plain old you know Office 365, Microsoft 365, uh, because things are are in virtual machines and you're not actually putting them on users' desktops and you don't have to worry about users installing things that are going to jeopardize your company and all that. So I, I think they're talking the talk, walking the walk. They just talked about increasing the amount they're, sell they're spending on security when they met, uh, when Satya met with Biden um, as part of that big dog and pony show recently. Um, all that said, I, I have to say, the number of security breaches that have been pointly about Microsoft around Exchange, especially the print nightmare stuff, very worrisome, right? Um, so a, a lot of people are saying, yeah, okay, they're doing all the right things. They're buying all the right vendors and talking about all the right concepts. You know, identity security is, is first and foremost. But why are all these things happening um, still? And why why can't they stop them from happening? So, yeah, that's that's kind of the dichotomy, right? They their response is always, we're, the, we're a bigger surface area that more hackers and bad guys want to target because we have more customers. We have over a billion users on Windows, et cetera. But some of these things around Exchange lately, um, they're, they're worrisome, right? And um, I, I'm going to be curious, as they move forward with Exchange, especially, especially Exchange in the cloud, what they start talking about around security for that. Because right now, people people are a little jaded and a little worried, I have to say. So it feels like the right thing is just to keep doubling down here and, you know, know. whether yeah. they make an acquisition or not. But the, the concept around identity has been one that um, many keep, keep asking, which is, you know, a company like Anocta has been doing really well around, you know, identity of, of applications or users who are accessing, they're also pushing to customer identity and this concept of understanding who Mary Jo is, what she likes, she likes to shoot beer, she doesn't like, you know, <laughs> whatever, all of it, you know. So um, this concept of identity is one that I think everyone's kind of been asking, you know, can, can they be a stronger player in, or can they look mm -hmm. at M&A as a, as a way to, and it sounds like your your view is it sounds like a combination of both, but they're they're going to keep doubling down here. Definitely, the the company they most recently bought in the security space, CloudNox Security. This is all about identity, right? It's, they're going to integrate their technology around zero trust 
with what they're doing with Defender and Azure, Azure Sentinel and Azure Active Directory. So they're, they're always looking at identity as kind of the linchpin of uh, what they need to do around security, for sure. And then maybe just lastly on Azure, um, you know, thoughts about it seems like things are going great. It's a three-horse race, at least in the public cloud market, between them, Amazon, and Google. Um, I think I guess the one thing I think I've been surprised by, um, having seen a lot of the, these early-stage tech startups, that there's just been very few that are standardizing on Azure. They're all picking Amazon. I mean. 90% of the software companies we work with are, are still choosing AWS. And I, and I, and I think OneStream is a, obviously a – Co-Fed was an ex-Microsoft exec, so he's at OneStream, and they've talked about Microsoft as a platform they're betting on. But I think it's just been shocking considering all the momentum that we haven't seen earlier stage companies making a bigger foundational bet. And you mentioned earlier, you know, having teams being built as a developer platform. Why is Azure not being selected more and more? Or maybe it's just our myopic view of just tech and it's happening in other categories. Um, I, I feel like many of the customers I talk to are not really all in any cloud platform, even including AWS, unless they're smaller and startup kinds of companies. I feel like everybody's hedging their bets, right? Like they have part of the company on AWS, sometimes on Google Cloud, sometimes on Azure. And I think Microsoft's thinking around this is, okay, if we if we can't totally get them to buy all in on us, at least we can try to build out certain workload areas where we're strong. And you see that, you see them doing that a lot right now with this thing they call Azure for Operators, which is them bolstering Azure's networking capabilities to try to get more telcos to use Azure for parts of their business. And they just had a big announcement this summer with AT&T around that. Um, they've had announcements with Verizon and T-Mobile, but so have all the other cloud vendors, right? Like they're all trying to go after the same for companies for different parts of their business. Um, I, if There's one strategy I'm watching to see if it really gains them much share is this whole thing they're doing around Azure Arc. So Azure Arc is their strategy for being able to manage your cloud services, where, whichever cloud they're on, through Azure, through through the Azure um, management plane. Um, I hear them talk about this a lot, and I hear them talk it up a lot. I hear customers kind of kicking the tires and thinking about, oh, maybe. Uh, I don't know how it's selling, but I think it's an interesting way for them to go about trying to get more share for Azure. Um, in that they, they could say, okay, maybe you don't like us for price, maybe you don't like us for the features that we have, but here's something you can do on our cloud that other people can't necessarily do. And so they're really pushing ARC as a key differentiator, and they've been doing that for a couple of years now. So I, I again, I don't have any kind of stats on it. They haven't. I don't think they've shared anything publicly on how that's going, but they are definitely talking about that a lot and trying to get, make that something customers consider when they look at all the different cloud vendors. I guess I, I mean, we haven't really heard it in the wild in big use, um, and maybe it, we just haven't run across it. Have you, have you, have you talked yeah. to customers in live production that are using it? Nope, I haven't. Only once, yeah. you know, they offer like when they when they make an announcement, they'll be like, and so and so is using Azure Arc for this, and they have case studies, right? But just running into someone randomly who's using it, no. Um, but they're out there 
ARC enabling, as they call it, all the, their different services on Azure. So they've got like apps, the Azure App Service and functions, apps, event grid, all these things now, Kubernetes, all, all this are ARC enabled so that you could, in theory, you know, use Azure Arc to manage any of these services wherever they're running and, and manage them, whether they're running, in many cases, on-premises or in the cloud. So it's it sounds good, looks good on paper, sounds good. I have, like I said, I haven't run any run into anyone just randomly who said, "Hey, I'm having trouble with Azure Arc," or "I'm thinking about Azure Arc." Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know if it's just kind of a an interesting concept on paper or if it's actually helping them market wise. Yeah, Google has, I guess, Anthos that lets you manage yeah. kind of multiple public clouds, and yeah, it sounds good, but ultimately it's. Um, That's great. Well, Mary Jo, um, thanks so much for your perspective as always. Uh, looking forward to checking back in with you, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring you your uh, Deschutes next week. <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> Good call on that. Thanks, everyone, <laughs> thanks. for joining.